electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. And hello, everybody. Yes, indeed. The Exchange begins now. I am Brian Sullivan. There is a lot to do and a lot to get to on this very busy Tuesday. So let's get right to it. Enough with the talk. The Reddit rally running out of steam in a big way. And many trader favorite stocks coming crashing down today. Many pointing the blame right at Robinhood. Plus, a critical update on the most important story in America right now, the vaccine rollout. How's it really going? The facts and on-the-ground insight ahead. And will Amazon deliver? Is Uber really just a food delivery company? And why the former head of MGM is the latest to get into the SPAC race? All of this ahead on the exchange. But we have got to begin with the markets and a big-time rally in many of the biggest names that are out there overall on pace for our best day since November. All three major indexes are up now for the third time in four days. The Dow up 605 points. The Nasdaq up nearly 2% as well. Energy, oil, and banks leading the way. And as they say on another famous street, the letter of the day is A, Alphabet and Amazon. Both reporting tonight, both stocks higher ahead of their results as well. In fact, almost exactly the same, 1.8%. All right, a lot of numbers are already out. They came out this morning. Some of the highlights, UPS higher, it beat results. ExxonMobil in the green, losses there narrowed. And Pfizer a bit in the red, down about 3% as earnings per share fell short. Now let's take a look at what I call the GOAT trade, get out and travel. Expedia, Bookings Holding, Disney, Hilton, the cruise lines, they are all surging today up 3, 4, 5, 6% as the pace of vaccinations roll up. And we got some pretty good news on AstraZeneca. But it is not all sunshine on the street of dreams. There is a lot of pain in the Robinhood trade right now. GameStop's run stopped. Shares are down more than 100 bucks right now, nearly 48%. It's a $117 stock. It was an over $400 stock just three trading days ago. AMC, a similar picture. We were near $20 a few days ago. AMC has come all the way back down to near six. Bed Bath & Beyond, not quite as bludgeoned as the others, but it is still deep in the red as well. And many on the Reddit message boards this morning saying, though, they will hang on, but it has been a very, very tough ride on these stocks. And of course, we tend to show you, like that, stock movements here on CNBC. But remember, options are a huge part of what is going on in the market, particularly single stock options with weekly expirations. And if you know more about what is really going on under the hood, and Chris Murphy of Susquehanna Investment Group. Chris, it's great to have you back on. I want to start, of course, with the story stock that has been GameStop. You gave us the options trade last week. What's the option setup like on GME right now? And more importantly, what does the setup tell you about sentiment? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, we talk about uh, all the put volume last week. Uh, we talk about the stock moving lower and who's getting hurt there. But it's interesting to note that um, despite uh, 
stock trading down uh, significantly. Uh, implied volatility in the GME options is are also down significantly. So what you're going to have is a situation where you can look at a call, uh, sorry, a put option from last week. Let's just say the March 100 puts, for example. Uh, you know, you would expect just by the stock price move alone that those March 100 puts would increase in value dramatically this week. But because there's also the volatility component in options and volatility is down significantly along with the stock, what you're seeing is those put uh, the value of a, a put like the March 100 put is actually not up that much because volatility mm-hmm. is down all right, well, I'm going to take it a little bit out of the weeds. Options action, by the way, 5.30 p.m. Eastern every Friday night. Tune in. Uh, Chris, when, you know, there's a lot of talk about the shorts got bludgeoned out. We know that. And that they're going to be hesitant to put a short on the equity. Does that put option, betting basically that a price will go down, indicate to you that they're either hedging a bullish bet on the stock or they're betting the stock will continue to fall but using options, not the equity? Well, we certainly saw a lot of put volume, and we highlighted that uh, in addition to this increase in open interest. Uh, but what you're seeing uh, today and this week is expectations, I believe, if you're looking at both the options and the stock, for GME to somewhat return back to normal. And that does not only include the stock uh, returning back to more um, uh, normalized levels, but it also uh, you know, means that volatility is going to turn back to more normalized levels. So the uh, implied volatility level of the options is contracting a lot. So that's why you're seeing that the puts are not increasing in value quite as much. So investors who are looking to, who have a strong directional opinion in the stock, but do not have a strong directional opinion on the option, uh, in the volatility, should be looking at spreads to express their opinions as opposed to the options outright. Because when implied volatility levels are three, four, five hundred percent, that, um, that parameter kind of crowds out a lot of the other Greeks and becomes the most important parameter. So if you don't have a strong opinion on the implied volatility level, you're better off looking at spreads to express your directional opinions. Okay. From a market perspective, do you have a view on the overall macro market outside of GameStop right now, based on what you and your team are seeing, Chris? Yeah, for for a little while now, we've been uh, discussing, you know, Markets are most, you know, equity markets more likely to just kind of grind higher over time. But then, you know, when a little bit you're seeing a little bit too much froth, we see these sharp, quick pullbacks uh, like we saw, you know, last week, like we saw in, um, you know, the, you know, right before the election. Uh, We saw it in August as well. So we had the expectation of the market to kind of grind higher. But we are on the lookout for signs of froth um, for these sharp pullbacks like we just saw. And now that we've kind of reset a little bit, um, we're likely that we start to grind higher again. And we'll continue to look out for certain uh, signs of froth as an indicator that maybe we're getting a little too ahead of ourselves and we get another one of those sharp but quick pullbacks where then investors look at buying dip. Okay, but overall, it looks like we, we are grinding higher today and that might continue. Certainly, Chris, we appreciate your insight both on a macro and a micro level. Have a great day. Thank you very much. All right, so as you just saw, it is a very good macro day on Wall Street. The major averages, they're surging. The Dow is up more than 2%. You have positive vaccine rollout news. You got the AstraZeneca drug trial data all maybe helping as well, plus the technical setup. The Dow on track for its best day in about three months and is up 800 points in just the last two sessions is that sharp reversal off the Friday fear a sign that speculation may be over, fundamentals, stimulus, free money, whatever you want to call it, are back. Joining us now is Katie Nixon, Chief Investment Officer at Northern Trust Wealth Management. 
and Simeon Hyman, global investment strategist at ProShares Advisors. Uh, Katie, uh, it's enough to give you a little whiplash. I mean, the last few trading days here, obviously Thursday and Friday, a bit nerve-wracking. What is today? Is today a good stimulus news day? Is today a good vaccine news day? Or is today just the continuation of what has been a long-term trend because there's $4.5 trillion in cash sloshing around the globe? I think you just nailed it, Brian. I mean, I think last week was the blip. This week, we're back to that old reflation rotation narrative where investors are looking forward to the post-COVID recovery, the great vaccine news combined with the policy news that we're getting from Washington, where there seems to be at least a little bit more alignment on a next stimulus package. Clearly, we heard from the Fed last week that they're not even thinking about thinking about thinking about raising rates. So easy money uh, will be a, 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 a character of the market for, for the foreseeable future. And then you mentioned that the macro, macro is positive, but the micro is really positive too, Brian. We've had a very good earnings season so far, lots and lots of beats. Um, we're expected to, to climb out of 2020 uh, with a lot less earnings damage than we had feared initially. And it's interesting to see that it's not just a U.S. phenomenon. We're seeing beats around the world. We're seeing 80% beats in emerging yeah. markets, 80% beats in, in European stocks uh, on the earnings front. So the, the micro and the macro are kind of rolling in the same direction right now. Yeah. And, you know, Simeon, listen, I know things are still very tough right now. Nobody is making light of that, but we are going to come out of this. And one of my predictions that I made is I think 2022 will be the strongest economy in many ways that we will ever see in our lifetimes as we all kind of bust out. CBO raising estimates. Some of the That's Fed right. banks around the world raising estimates. ISM up. You can't find a shipping container because they're all booked up. The price of oil is higher. Are you as optimistic about the second half of this year and 2022 as some of the more optimistic forecasts? No, I think that's right. And I wasn't going to even bring up the Baltic dry index because that's just one of those things that people always bring up in these instances. But all the indicators are good. And that ISM manufacturing, people kind of expected it. But surprisingly, ISM services has been well above 50 since June. So these are all indications. You mentioned the CBO, but I'll bring in one more piece of stimulus here that has nothing to do with Washington. It's the consumer. The household savings rate has been through the roof since March. There is a ton of pent-up demand. Who hasn't had that conversation with a friend saying, hey, I'm just waiting for the all-clear sign, and I'm going to go on vacation, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. So I think you'd put us in, in the bullish camp. But you have to be there, though, because those consensus earning estimates just for 2021, let's not talk about 2022, are for about a 30 35% increase in earnings. We only need a little bit of margin expansion to get there, but it's still a real number that has to get there. Well, and I'll follow up with you, Simeon. By the way, you can always mention the Baltic Dry Index in any show that I'm doing. I have no problem with that. As a commodities guy, I kind of like to hear about it as well. And by the way, that is up. Not as much, but it is up, certainly. I guess the question is this. As we all know that, and the hard part about the story is 70 to 75% of the country has been saving money. To your point, they're not going anywhere. They're not doing anything. They're just bank in the coin while the rest pretty much are out of work because they're in travel and leisure. So it's a very tough story overall. The question, though, is how much more multiple expansion, Simeon, can this market and stock prices withstand? Well, look, the market, of course, is not monolithic. From our perspective, the trade here is if you want to leave a little bit of if you want to harvest some of your gains in that large cap tech space and you want to rotate somewhere, 
we would suggest not necessarily rotating the value because, as you mentioned, this is not going to be a straight line. There's still hair out there. We're not quite done with this. We think the quality trade makes more sense. As an example, the S&P 500 dividend aristocrats, those are those companies that have grown their dividends for 25 straight years, they grew their dividends 14% last year in the pandemic. And look, they're at a little bit of a discount because they've been left behind. So you can certainly look for some things that are on sale. And sometimes you don't even have to look to beaten down things to find things that are on sale. Uh, I mentioned yeah. as the note I sent over that online retail, the ProShares online retail index, which was up triple digits last year, it's actually at a 30% discount to the consumer discretionary uh, sector. Mm-hmm. And you get a play both on the growth of online, but also you get some of that reopening money if it shows up. Um, so I do think you can be a little picky and choosy, yeah. um, but still general bullishness because the economy is turning around. Katie, is there anywhere you and your team are still seeing any? I mean, everything's up in price, just a measure of how much, any value anywhere. So on a relative value uh, perspective, we still like non-U.S. equities. Um, That's certainly where you get a big bang for your buck relative to the global growth story, the reopening trade later on in 2021 and into 2022, as you said, Brian. And so we want to really lean into that trade. We do think there's value in value right now in some of the cyclicals. It's interesting because the market itself is expensive and it's broadly expensive here in the U.S. You know, almost half of the stocks in the S&P are selling at over 20 times earnings. So we're at a very high valuation level. So you're going to have to look to where you can get value for that valuation, yep. right? And where you see that earnings bump, that real leverage shoe to the upside is in some of the more cyclical trades. So we still like, uh, like leaning into those trades as well as the non-U.S. equity markets. Katie Nixon, Simeon Hyman, good discussion there. Looking at the consumer discretionary names as well as we're all ready to bust out. Guys, thank you very much. All right, coming up after the break here on The Exchange, the latest on-the-ground facts on the vaccine rollout as we take you back to where it all started back in December. Plus, Americans relied on Amazon more than ever during the pandemic and lockdowns. But can the company keep all those new customers as we begin to reopen? All that and much more ahead. The Dow is soaring up more than six. 100 points will take you to break, showing some of the winners. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. All right, welcome back to the exchange on this big market day. Well, you may not have realized it, but yesterday was a very important day in the fight against the pandemic. Because yesterday was the first day that the number of total vaccinations is more than the total number of cases since this all began last year. And that number should only grow and keep cases and hospitalizations down. And since we first took you on the ground to Louisiana and followed some of the very first doses ever delivered back in December, the rollout has really ramped up with a record average of 1.4 million shots per day being given. And it's probably actually more than that, which means we could have 100 million shots in arms by early to mid-March. And that doesn't even take into account a new J&J and or AstraZeneca vaccine that gets rolled out. 
So let's check back in where this all began and bring in Paul Dixon, Jr., Vice President of Operations at Morris and Dixon, the 180-year-old family-run company, one of the largest drug distributors in America, who graciously allowed us in to watch them work in the very early days of this. Paul, look forward to getting back to Shreveport, but we appreciate you joining us like this nonetheless. Uh, it's been a few months now. What have we learned and what do we still have to learn? Well, a lot of the confusion has died down once figuring out what administration sites can handle it, how much they can handle and A lot of that's become a whole lot smoother. Last night, it ran very smoothly. 18,000 doses roughly came in and left same day in less than 12 hours. So that's how it should run. How can we speed up the process? Ramp up supply. The demand, the, the demand is greater than the supply right now, and the distribution network is not a bottleneck. And we are getting out every vaccine that is needed the same day. So, so breaking down the confusion and, and making sure we know exactly what sites need what and exactly when is how we can speed it up. Part of the Moving conversation, the you and, and yeah, that's it. So I want to focus on that, Paul, because you and I have talked about it. Uh, I've spoken about it with others down in Florida and other states. And what what they say and what maybe many people in America forget, and who can blame them, is we vaccinate 175 million people every year. We get a flu vaccine. We don't even think about it. We go to our local pharmacy, get the shot and go home. It's not a big thing. The bottleneck is really because we are creating, rightly so, by the way, prioritization groups. CVS today said pretty soon they're going to start vaccinating. Once we hit that normal supply chain, the work that you and your team do every single day, how much faster do you think we can go assuming the supplies are there? It's fast as the supply comes. The distribution of pharmaceuticals happens every day. 30,000 different items, vaccines alike, like the flu, and it's never been a holdup. Every pharmacy in America has what they need in less than 12 hours. So getting the, the vaccine distributed through the wholesale supply chain, the pharmaceuticals is not a bottleneck at all. So we can move as fast as the, the, the supply comes to us. And we're showing that video of when we were there, which is still, you know, sort of gets me every time as your team working those vials out of the negative 70 into the coolers and, and following, you know, Ray down the road <laughs> to Lake Charles. When we get, I assume, the J&J vaccine that does not necessarily require these ultra-cold temperatures, how much more will a normal temperature, a, a normal vaccine, also help speed it up and not rely on those big Thermo Fisher freezers you're standing in front of, Paul? So that's not one of the big bottlenecks. I think the big bottleneck is just determining which sites can handle how much vaccine. And part of that is, is making sure the patients are available and making sure they have the the people available to administer. So the the cold nature of the product, the cold chain is really not the hurdle for the distribution side of it. We handle this type of stuff every day. Um, refrigerated or frozen product is not a problem for the normal distribution supply chain. And here's maybe a more uncomfortable question, Paul. And you're down there in Louisiana, and, and I've traveled through the South, and see, there's people that just won't take it, right? I mean... We talk about herd immunity numbers and forget about the argument. It can be 40 percent to 70. Everyone's got a different view. But the reality is that there's probably a third of the country based on surveys that are simply not going to take it. Don't dive into that. But as you're distributing it to these hospitals, you guys see it firsthand. There are even healthcare workers that aren't going to take it. That's right. We've seen and again, we're not a vaccinating or administrating site, so I don't have 
firsthand knowledge of that. But what we understand is it's, it's roughly thir a third of the people are very willing and a third of the people can be convinced and a third are not willing. And, and you see that as different sites accept different amounts each week. And the ability for them to vaccinate their entire allotment varies depending on the amount of people they can get to vaccinate. Paul Dixon, Jr. at Morris and Dixon. We were down there in December watching the very, very first shots into arms as well. And you guys are ramping it up. Look forward to getting it to those normal supply chains like you guys do every day with thousands of drugs. Right. Paul, thanks for joining us on CNBC. Have a great day. Good work. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. All right, there you go. On the ground, folks. Get it back into that normal supply chain. And we can, as long as supply is there, boom, ramp it up quick. All right, on deck. Uber. Investors raising a glass as the company drives into the alcohol market? Say what? It's a real story. Plus, former MGM chair Jim Murren jumping into the SPAC race. Contessa Brewer speaks with him and his new partner about what they want to accomplish in gaming. We'll also ask him how Nevada's vaccine rollout is really going. Remember, he oversees it. And speaking of games, the casino stocks all moving higher. It's America who's one step closer to crushing COVID, getting out, getting back. Vegas, baby, Vegas. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. All right, welcome back to The Exchange on this busy Tuesday. And we have got a rally in stocks, or I should say the continuation of maybe the rally that began yesterday. Getting more positive news, the fight against COVID. We just talked about it. Also got the AstraZeneca trial results that are out there as well. And CBS saying they're going to start vaccinating eligible patients at 11 states. And you remember what our guest just said about getting it into the normal supply chain and the speed will really pick up. Either way, we are seeing the Dow up 566, a little off its high. The high was 628, but I mean, not going to dither in a nearly 2% up market. And right now, the Dow is on pace for its best one-day gain I think November 9th or at least early November. Let's check on bonds, too, because bonds are actually moving just a bit higher as well. And the dollar index, remember that, is at the highest since early December. And oil trading at its highest level in more than a year. We are seeing crude oil come up as more people maybe take into the roads, take into the skies. And by the way, take into the seas because global shipping is up. Global shipping, of course, uses a lot of oil and gas. We are seeing silver down 10%. Remember, yesterday, silver really was the story surging double digits to the highest level in nearly eight years. We are seeing COMEX traded silver now down about 10%. All right, so let's step outside of the world of money and business and get to Seema Modi for a CNBC News update. Seema. Brian, here's what's happening at this hour, and we will start in D.C. The Senate has easily confirmed Pete Buttigieg's nomination to be Transportation Secretary. A more contentious vote on Alejandro Mayorkas to be Secretary of Homeland Security. That is set to start in about an hour. A Moscow court has ordered opposition leader Alexei Navalny to spend over two and a half years in prison. British and German leaders are already calling for his immediate release. In Rochester, New York, one police officer has been suspended and two 
have been put on administrative leave. This after police responding to a family help call handcuffed and pepper sprayed a nine-year-old. And get ready for more winter. Pangsa Tani Phil saw his shadow on this Groundhog Day. Even if there aren't any spectators to see him, there is some groundhog descent, though. New York Staten Island Chuck Georges, General Bagard, and Illinois Woodstock Willie all expect an early spring. It's a silly tradition, Brian, but somewhat endearing. I'm going with Beauregard and Willie, and they're optimi- I'm glass half full, Sullivan. So you know, you know me, Seema. Yeah. You know, Punxsutawney Phil, whatever it is, a little weasel can go back in the hole. By the way, I want to see them do this with a honey badger. That should be the new. If you survive the pulling out of the hole, spring is tomorrow. How about that? I'm with you. There we go. The honey badger saw a shadow and then ate everybody. Seema, thank you very much. All right, we've got Amazon up after the bell. Uber's boozy bets. He was like, I don't even know why he's on TV. And GameStop could get the Hollywood treatment. All that and more in today's episode of Rapid Fire. I hope to be there in two minutes to join you. Tune in. Amazon's results after the bell. Uber's rather boozy bet. Where's the beef? And GameStop going Hollywood. It is time for what else? Rapid Fire. Able to bring it back as things kind of... Went back to normal just a bit. Here now with their hot takes of the day. Deirdre Bosa, Michael Santoli, and Kate Rice. This is an epic lineup. I can't wait to see who survives. All right, first up, Amazon is set to report their earnings after the bell. Analysts expecting just under $120 billion in sales. That means it would join the exclusive $100 billion revenue club alongside only Apple and Walmart in the U.S., Over the past six months, Amazon has actually underperformed the broader market. It's up only 7% versus 17% for the index. So could this report be the catalyst to break it out of its slump? Deirdre Bosa, first to you, what are you expecting on the numbers themselves? How big might they be? Well, we are expecting extremely big numbers. $100 billion revenue quarter is just a starting point. A lot of folks on the street think it's going to be much bigger than that. But I think the key here, Brian, is profitability, which isn't something we usually attribute to Amazon. It's sort of gotten a free pass for many years. But over the last few years, it has really been a more financially disciplined company. I think the street is going to be look looking for that profit margin from the company, especially when it is spending billions and billions of dollars, not only on COVID relief, but also building out further its one-day shipping. Uh, So that's going to be key. And what Amazon sort of says about the quarter ahead, because while revenue is firing on all Mm -hmm. cylinders, this is already Amazon's most profitable year. You know, Michael Santoli, are we learning? Is it possible that the overall market can go up even if Amazon is not leading the cart. Yeah, we've learned that since about Labor Day. Uh, you know, the stock is still about 100 bucks below its September 1st high. It's gone sideways. By the way, it's still up 70% on a one-year basis, so it really has just been digesting a massive, massive move uh, off the March lows. And it's done this before. It's gone sideways for various periods. Netflix had a similar setup to its earnings, where it had really done nothing for months, and then, of course, had uh, blowout numbers. But, yeah, it's a broader market than it had been. The weighting in the S&P 500 of the top five biggest stocks is down somewhat from uh, its all-time highs recently. But I think it's too Mm -hmm. early to say it's going to be an either or market. These guys can still participate if everything else is going up, too. Kate Rogers every day on average. Don't have to be specific. How many boxes are you breaking down? You can't go out and do anything in California. How many boxes every day (laughs) do you like recycle? 
We do get a lot of Amazon Prime deliveries here, and we've also now started using Whole Foods grocery delivery, which is something that I had shied away from. But in Q4, we've seen many more restrictions. COVID cases obviously surging. One of the reasons why it will be such a strong quarter for Amazon. And Bank of America points out this stock and the company works even and is better positioned rather than its peers in a vaccine scenario when vaccines roll out because consumer preferences has shifted. Me moving to Whole Foods delivery is one of them for sure, Brian. I was never someone that did that before. I think a lot more consumers are relying on all of their different offerings in a much bigger way now. And do we go back after this? Do we go back once the vaccine yeah. rolls out? I'm not quite so sure. I hope we go back to the store because I'd like to see a few stores stay in business. Kate, we're going to stick with you. All right. The old quick snake around because Uber is making it rain all over Drizzly. That's an alcohol delivery service. Uber buying it for just over a billion dollars in cash. They're the largest e-commerce alcohol marketplace in North America. I'm assuming, Kate Rogers, there's some way to make sure, you know, like my 15-year-old self wouldn't have ordered beer uh, for the delivery. Yeah, I'm 32. I'm Abe Froben, the sausage king of Chicago. Uh, (laughs) Talk to us about this deal and what it might mean for Uber. We know the Drizzly founders are getting paid. Yeah, absolutely. Huge, huge deal this morning. And also just looking at the food and restaurant space, how important alcohol delivery has become to struggling restaurants, Brian, was something that I thought of when I saw Uber was buying Drizzly because Uber Eats and its food delivery platform has become really key. And I'm wondering, and maybe Deirdre may know better than I I would, but can you now mix ticket items on Uber Eats when you're looking for delivery? We know alcohol delivery, cocktails to go, that's been something that's helped the independent restaurants when they're struggling at this time. It just seems like the next natural step for Uber to kind of wade into that market because it's becoming increasingly popular to my last point about consumer preferences really shifting. Kate, it it may be the next natural step, but yeah, so it may be the next natural step. But again, like some other areas, is Uber late? Dara Khazar Shahi, the CEO, he's an operator. He tends to buy companies to plug different vendors into the platform and, you know, with mixed results. So compare what Uber has just done, announced today, with some of the other business models. There's a company based in Philadelphia called GoPuff that is taking a more Amazon-like approach to delivery. They're owning it from end to end, the infrastructure, the technology, the liquor licenses. So like in food delivery, which Uber has really lagged behind. You saw DoorDash increase its market share at a much faster rate and overtake Uber in a very big way. I just wonder if we're going to see the same thing here. DoorDash, by the way, has its own convenience store. So are you going to order wine when you order your food delivery or are you going to order from a convenience store model where you can get your essentials and your wine at the same time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, my 22-year-old self would have said cannabis and jack-in-the-box or Taco Bell should have tied up, I guess. But that's a different issue. Michael <laughs> Santoli, we look at these numbers. Uber is a big company, yep. right? It wants to be known as a technology company. Is delivering food, like, you know, a couple of burgers, you know, b- by the way, burning carbon as all these cars are now sitting in our driveways running. Is, is that the way to get a 2550 multiple? You know, it's, it's technology because essentially what you are is, is the app, you're the dispatch, um, you're the hub. So, I mean, I think that, that basically that argument is, uh, is as good as it was when Uber came public, in a sense. Uh, what I find interesting, though, is 90% of the purchase price for Drizzly is in Uber shares. So Uber's saying a little more than 1% of our market cap, we are going to bet on this company, which maybe it's, you know, too much, too little, but it's not a tremendous wager. A lot of people trying to make money, all doing the same thing, by the way, as as the burger's getting cold in the passenger seat. All right, up next, 
Impossible Foods items are about to get less expensive. The company's slashing prices by about 20%, marking the first time it has marked down prices. But it's the third time in the last year that it has permanently discounted some products. Restaurant distributors received price cuts in 2020 and again in January. Well, cheaper prices, though, help drive people away, Kate Rogers, from just meat. Or is it really, let's be honest, it's about taste, not price. I think it's about all of those things, Brian. So both Impossible and Beyond Meat are looking to get customers that are seeking these non-meat and meat alternative options, but they also want people to flex into the category, right? To try them once in a while, make them a part of the rotation, even if they are people who also consume meat. So the price discounting there is important. They want to, you know, get a little closer to parity with actual beef prices. Uh, Beyond Meat also had uh, lowered some of its prices. It has a cookout classic pack that's still in store. And that company also said that it wants to basically have one product in each category by 2024 that would be on on parity with an actual meat product here. So you can see the discounting is important now. It will continue to be important. Uh, And just like we've seen companies like Starbucks see real success with these alternative milk and uh, nut-based milk options, that's something that you can see consumers kind of gravitating towards and adding into the rotation. And I think that those customers that are flexing into the category will continue to become important to all of these brands moving forward. But again, Deirdre, a space, whatever, by the way, whatever you think of the product, maybe you love it. Some people I know do, some people don't. This is a lot of competition. There's, again, just growing competition for the consumer buck. Yeah, and we've been showing the, the stock price of Beyond Meat and really tough break for this company. It's yet to turn an annual profit. And now if it's engaging in some kind of price war with Impossible Foods, it's going to be even tougher. And remember, this is a public company, so, you know, you can see it a lot clearer than you can Impossible Foods, and perhaps Impossible Food is able to raise more money to subsidize prices. All right, finally, get this. GameStop may be going Hollywood. At least two different projects, one on Netflix, one on MGM, are reportedly under development to look at the investment saga that started on Reddit and turned into a cultural phenomenon. Uh, you know, Mike said, Jolie, I get it, but I mean, they could also just watch CNBC every day. We're, we're watching it play out in, in, in real time. Do you think there's enough um, <clears throat> meat here to have a movie? Um, well, you could always make something out of it. I mean, it's, it's pretty tough to say at the outset. I understand why you would want to. It does seem to some degree cinematic in terms of it being, you know, kind of underdogs, big money involved, humbling of at least temporarily humbling uh, of some billionaires. So I get it. Um, but, you know, we had two SNL sketches, I think, that made reference to this last week. Uh, if you needed another sign that maybe we reached a crescendo in attention on this particular narrow story in, in the past few days, the fact that you have them, you know, soliciting scripts on it might be one of them. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, it's a, it's a bad movie today, down 116. A lot of people getting burned. By the way, trading limits and stuff on some of these platforms, a lot of people are going to be really ticked off, probably already lawyering up. Uh, Dear Jabosa, what, what do you think? You think there is enough here? Somebody did point out, by the way, on Twitter, I, I can't remember who, that, that, that the guy, Roaring Kitty, who kind of started this whole thing on GameStop and the CEO of Robinhood, look almost too much alike. (laughs) Wink, wink. (laughs) Yeah, I think I also uh, saw a few others dragged into that. You see uh, that? Whatever you want to call it. Uh, 
<laughs> Adam Newman was one of them. There is a striking similarity to uh, some of the people, some of the most interesting people we talk about. Um, Brian, is there enough there? I mean, yes, we get a front row view to this every day. It's been one of the most exciting weeks on CNBC. We've had such interesting conversations where it goes from here that is anyone's guess. This could quickly become, you know, a more interesting storyline or perhaps a boring one. And maybe that wouldn't be too bad either. Uh, but I'm sure Hollywood will find a way to, you know, dial up the drama. I saw Ben Medrick's name was involved. Of course, he's everything he writes is just entertaining. And I don't, I've never met the guy, but I think I've read all of his books. I know he's been Rumored of, I don't know how you already write the book, or maybe it's half written, but we'll see how this plays out. And by the way, I hope it plays out well for a lot of these retail investors. Deirdre, Michael, Kate, thank you all very much. Appreciate it, guys. Good rapid fire. All right, still ahead. The pandemic continuing to keep people out of casinos for the most part, but MGM is placing a big bet on social gaming and a new SPAC. Former MGM CEO Jim Murray joins Contessa Brewer next. I take a look at Bitcoin, where the volatility continues. Bitcoin has been all over the place the last couple of weeks. It's up 1185 right now, back over 35,000 or 3.5%. Ether and others are also up. We are back right after this. All right, welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. Good to see you. All right, another day, another SPAC deal. This one in the mobile gaming world. Contessa Brewer joining us now with the details and some special guests. Contessa. Hi there, Brian. Nice to see you. The agreement just cemented brings together some well-known names in gaming. The SPAC, Oculus, is co-founded by Jim Murren, former CEO and chairman of MGM Resorts. Play Studios founder, CEO and chair is Andrew Pascal, former president of Wynn Resorts. Now, Play Studios offers well-known casual games on apps and social media games. These are free to play. Games like My Vegas Blackjack. But the players earn real rewards like... A night at MGM Resorts, a partner to Play Studios. Play Studios has nearly 300 such partners around the globe and big plans for expansion. This deal values Play Studios at $1.1 billion. The institutional investors, BlackRock, ClearBridge, Newberger Berman, and MGM Resorts have signed on already. And joining me now for a first on CNBC exclusive, Jim Murren and Andrew Pascal. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. It's great to see you. Thank you for having us. Jim, you bring to the table a wealth of knowledge about uh, the world of gaming, and by that I mean gambling, and where it can go digitally. What are your hopes and expectations for this acquisition? Well, I believe firmly of the intersection between live entertainment like casino gambling and digital entertainment. And I believe that consumers are increasingly looking for opportunities to consume entertainment in multiple channels. Play Studios is right at the epicenter of that. It is in the digital gaming space, uh, but it allows their customers to redeem real stuff in the uh, live world. And so I expect that Play Studios will be able to use its great franchise of great games, great mechanics, with its one-of-a-kind loyalty platform that no other company has been able to uh, achieve to be able to embark on a very aggressive M&A strategy that will propel this company vastly forward. Let's talk a little bit about the M&A strategy. And Andrew, the strategy to grow a company 
where your customers aren't paying anything. They're playing for free. So what are your goals for the capital you get? Well, I mean, just as Jim characterized, we, we feel like we've proven out this really unique model where people come and download games from the app stores and they play them for free. And as they do, they accumulate all these really great benefits that they take advantage of in the real world. And so we built the platform and the tools and, and refined our sensibilities about how to run a platform in a business like that. And now we want to scale it up. We built all of our games organically with our teams and studios around the globe. And now we're going to take this resource and currency from doing this transaction. And we're going to go and find really great companies with great games of their own and a, a network of players and then integrate it into our framework so that we can bring the benefits of loyalty and all of our partners like the MGM group to those propositions and then scale and grow our business. I've been told that the the people who come into, let's just use MGM as an example because Jim's very familiar with it, as am I, that, that the customers who go and use their rewards for a night at MGM end up being really sticky, that they spend a lot of money at MGM and they stay within that ecosystem. Is the ultimate hope here that you can transition, you can convert those customers playing blackjack on your app for free into actual blackjack players through iGaming where it's legal? Yeah, I mean, look, it's beyond a hope. I mean, we've proven that out. We've been running and operating our business in this model for nearly nine years, and we've delivered millions of new customers to our partners across the globe, MGM being obviously uh, one of, of many, but a very important partner. And so we've proven it. It works. People love it. And, and the consumers that we're delivering to our partners are demonstrating that they are of at least equal, if not greater value to them than the consumers that they're sourcing through these other kind of promotional and discount channels or tactics. And so it's been very productive. And, and Contessa, what right. also happens is uh, a company like MGM or Royal Caribbean or many of uh, Andrew's partners, when they want to launch a new restaurant or a new show or they want to reintroduce themselves to their customers, they're using Play Studios and its database in order to provide that trial for, for that customer. It's a, it's a great customer acquisition tool. It's also a great tool to reactivate dormant customers. MGM, I know, uses it uh, liberally to do that, and others do as well. And it, yeah. that's why this, this convergence between live and digital is so great. And I, I point out it works both ways. Hey, right? Jim, I mean, it's Brian it Sullivan. I'd like to, if I could jump in here, guys. I know we're running out of time, and I'm sorry to bomb in on this. I want to, I want to congrats on the deal. I want to talk to you about something else, Jim, because you are the, the head of the coronavirus vaccination public-private task force in Nevada. And we just talked to somebody, a drug distributor, Nevada's used about 67% of its available shots. Uh, what can you guys, yours, because these are, I know people look to the federal government, which has done some things, but this is a state-by-state state operation for the most part. Uh, what can you do in Nevada to speed it up? Do you think we need to use more of that, that already existing supply chain and the pharmacies? Because you've got a large elderly population and a lot of people that are out of work and want people to get back to Vegas. So we, we started off slowly on vaccinations, uh, but we, we learned our lessons and we're going to speed up very quickly and it's going to be a public-private partnership. And so the private sector, Wynn, MGM, Caesars, NV Energy, Nevada Gold Mines are all deploying their resources to help distribute the vaccine as rapidly and broadly as possible. So you're going to see a big spike of, of vaccinations over the next several months 
uh, beginning immediately. And I think that's going to have a big impact on consumer confidence. And it's going to have a big impact on visitation back to the shows and the, the restaurants of Las Vegas in the second half of the year. Jim's got his uh, hands in a lot of different pots right now, even though he's no longer running a, a big global company. Jim, looking forward to any news here on SPAC 2. Andrew, thank you for joining us and giving us some information about where Play Studios goes from here. Appreciate it, thank guys. Thank you, Vanessa. Thanks so much. Brian. Thank you, Tessa. We appreciate you bringing the story and the guests to us. And uh, thanks for letting me jump in on the vaccine question. Appreciate it, Contessa. Sure. Take care. All right. Still ahead. Nobody better than Contessa. All right. Goldman, Goldman Sachs says it is impossible for retail traders to short squeeze silver. They say it's just not possible. You disagree? We'll tell you why they say it next. And don't forget, you can watch us live on the go on the CNBC app, The Exchange. We'll be right back. Dow 5 44 Bitcoin up 1400. And welcome back. For unfortunately, for some, silver price is looking a little more like lead today, giving back pretty much what they gained yesterday. All this talk of squeezing the silver market was one of the biggest headlines out there. As another army of redditors or tweeters is a debate over which online army exactly, however, tried to execute a short squeeze on the precious metal. Many still are a move aimed at hurting the big banks and running the price up, but. According to one of those banks, Goldman Sachs to be exact, it may be an impossibility structurally. Goldman says due to the nature of the commodities market, shorting there is not like shorting stocks for a number of reasons. And both exchanges like the CME and regulators like the CFTC have protocols that they can just slap in place to avoid huge run-ups in prices, like raising margin requirements by 18% out of the blue, like the CME did last night. Some of you may disagree or just want to learn more. And to do that, go to cnbc.com slash pro. All right, that does it for The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently. At capella.edu.